What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, as always, Blake Law. This is episode 83 of the podcast, and we are thrilled you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this show aims to do. We will be interviewing a player who has lost one to two games at a major event, and we're going to be breaking down the mistakes they may or may not have made and how they plan to learn moving forward. How often have you game, blamed the game on bad dice? I've done it. Matt Morsoli's done it. Everyone at LVO is going to do it. And then you just let it go. Now we're going back to Toledo, a place that I don't know if anyone necessarily wants to go to. Sorry, John. But uh, we're going back there for two weeks in a row now. We're going to talk to a player who has lost to the player we interviewed last week. So kind of a inception of Unbroken, if you will. I am, of course, talking about Glass City GT. where We're going to be talking about Votan playing into Sisters of Battle. Now, this is part one of the podcast, and this part will be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, secondaries, target priority, and all of the above. In part two, which is available to subscribers at our Patreon, that is the Competitive 40K Network, Art of War, Patreon. We will be talking about how their list plays into your list, my list, the new meta. We'll be talking about list adjustments, heading into Arcs of Omen. We'll be talking about new strategies, and of course, the one, the only, the elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today is joining me for the second week in a row, and hopefully for a very long time to come. He is not fond of the Sully Slice, so we're going to get a new name for him today. I'm talking about the Team Australia championship winning, one of the best players on the planet, Matt Morisoli. Oh, that's such a generous intro. Two weeks in a row. I wonder how long that lasts for. I reckon by uh, I reckon about a month in, you're going to just be like, oh, yeah, this guy, this bloke, this man from Australia. I'm not going to get the, uh, the generous intro after about a month, I reckon. I need to find some point um, in our conversation at some point and just hold on to it and just hold it over you forever. And that's that's probably what your intro is going to eventually kind of turn into. Um, but I'm still waiting for that magical moment to happen where I just constantly rag you on one thing. So it, it'll happen. We just got to let time. We got to let natural develop, man. Yeah, look, that, I'm, I'm sure everyone's got some sort of mini story about me that they can't simply let go. So <laughs> at some point in time, I'm sure you will, too. Now, our guest today, this is actually his second appearance on Unbroken. I'm very happy he's coming on because he is someone who is fantastic player. He's a great friend. He's done really well in the last two years. He's newer to the scene, and he's really made big splashes. He's had several top 10 finishes. He cut you hells from the Death or Glory group, and he's been doing really well with Voltan lately. I'm talking about, of course, John DeFrank. Yeah, how's it going, guys? John, how's it feel to have your second Unbroken episode coming on? Really, really good. Actually, I, I think this is my second one from Glass City as well, too. So it's a kind of a uh, a little spiel I have going for you guys. So you've actually been on back-to-back episodes for the same event, and that's pretty cool. I met you a year ago, and then I stayed at your house at Glass City a year later. So I feel like that's some full Unbroken Circle stuff there. Definitely. Uh, now, eventually, you're going to have to come on a third time and dethrone Ogden, who is the current record holder for most episodes of Unbroken. Yes, three. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll, I'll get Ogden. He's he's next on my list. Yeah, you got to knock him down. 
Now, tell us a little bit about the event. We kind of heard about it in the last episode, but uh, tell us what you thought about Glass City. It's in your hometown of Toledo, so give us the rundown of the event. Yeah, so Glass City's uh, ran by who we call Sniggs, Jason Stingowski. He does a really great job. Um, it, it's been running, I think it's like one of the older GTs out there. I don't think it's the oldest, but it's been running for God, maybe 11, 12 years. I, I recently moved out to Toledo about two years, three years ago. And uh, I've been, that's where I first started was the Glass City event. And that's how I got myself into the competitive scene. I did that. And then I like, I did a doubles that next day. And that's when I met Ogden and he asked me to join Death or Glory. Really liked my, uh, my way I just dealt with the game and how I was just very friendly and just had a blast. And he liked your vibe. Right. <laughs> Uh, but Jason, actually, this event was pretty neat. Normally, he has like preset terrain, usually like GW terrain or something that he created. This time around, he did player place terrain. And I loved how he did it because he had a centerpiece, uh, a ruin that was obscuring in the middle. And it was open as long if you touched it. But you couldn't, you know, you were obscured from behind it as long as you were behind it. So it, it gave a different type of player player place and it it didn't feel like whoever won the roll off pretty much had the advantage on the battlefield you actually had to really think about how you were doing your player place and how you're going to really use your terrain instead of just being like oh i'm going to put a force in the middle and just shoot you off whatever i want to shoot you off yeah i really like that we talked about it last time at length i think with scott but i really like that I think most player place terrain kind of setups should go with the central ruin. I think that really makes it more fair for people who don't know how to do it. It right. it kind of bounces the level the playing field out a little bit. And it uh, also if you're a I mean if you're a shooting army, you can create angles on your own side with player place to where you have some alleys of shooting. So I kinda like it. Yeah, we um we didn't cover it with Scott last week, I don't think. What what happened if there was a center objective? Did you move it off the to marker or did he, like did you let it stay there how did that kind of work so the center objective was fully in the ruin uh it was not out at all so every every ruin that he had he had tape around it and it had to fit the center objective so if you wanted to touch it you had to be seen and yeah. it, it was really really interesting on how he did that like the ruin was on an angle and such where maybe a quarter of it was in your side of the board and the other quarter would be on your opponent's side of the board with the objective in the middle so it, and then two it, open corners yep yeah it, it grew for like a really good interesting game yeah that um that, that sort of stuff is always really interesting right because it's very easy to get wrong and lead to an imbalance where either combat armies or shooting armies are tremendously favored like it's really easy to to make bad calls and that but i'm glad to hear it kind of felt like it was fair on both sides i don't know if I know you're not coming to LVO, Blake. I'm not sure about you, John. We've been doing a bunch of practice on the LVO terrain, and because you have to move it off the marker, there's a whole lot of times where the big pieces, like the Orc Settlement piece on the FLG table, will get pushed into your deployment zone or into your opponent's deployment zone, and it actually messes up where you can go. So I think it's really cool that there's a, a balance that's been struck here between both shooting and combat armies without kind of ruining the rest of your player place terrain as well by virtue of having a sense of ruin. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I've noticed that's a problem is if there's too much terrain or too too many big pieces, right? 
because then if you're a shooting army, you pretty much have to give your opponent like a jumping off point because you can't just line the back edge with ruins. Or if you um, if you're a, say you're a um, combat army and you have a bunch of pieces you have to lay out that um, are you know slow you down or something, you um, you know kind of is counterintuitive. You don't really get to uh, player place per se. It's kind of you, they have to go certain places. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because uh, the other part of Jason's thing is in just the piece in the center, right? You had two other ruins that were obscuring, so kind of like you know your GW ruins, but you can you can pull them however you want because it's player place. But then he had a forest, and then he had an obstacle, and I really like the obstacle because it it made for different types of scenarios. It had heavy heavy cover, it had light cover, it had um, you know difficult terrain to go through and it had an aura of three inches not for the difficult part but for like the heavy and light cover as long as you're on the other side so it it was actually a really interesting piece that you don't get to play with very often in a tournament i actually really enjoyed it i like that one as my first drop to block out ruins off of objectives that was kind of what i used it for and yeah i liked it too but anyway let's go ahead and talk about your list john run us through your votan list and uh, kind of give us some key points on it yeah, so my Votan list, I had um, two detachments. I had a patrol detachment and an outrider detachment. And and I, I ran the Great Ethereum League. So I had Uthar the Destin, you know, the greatest man the greatest dwarf alive. Uh, I had a Brokeer Forge Master, he was upgraded. Uthar did have his warlord trait. Um, I had two units of Hearthkin Warriors. Is his uh, warlord trait the one that lets you drop an extra grudge token? On someone, yeah, it allows like you could point at two two enemies instead of just one. And then he also has an additional warlord trait where your auras, other than like your five up invul, is a nine inch. Like your all your abilities are nine inches instead of six. Oh, that's real good. Yeah. So I, I had some warriors. They were fully upgraded with the medipack scanner and comms. I had three, uh, two berserks, but actually three because of the outrage. I had three uh, four man squads of. Bikes, which were fully upgraded, comms, scanner, uh, light, and the the rotary cannon. I had a Grimnir. I had a, and then I had three Sagittars. Which one's the Grimnir? What's which one's he? Oh, he's like the coolest model out there. He's he's like Gandalf for dwarves. He's, he's the caster. Yeah. Player. Okay. Yeah, this is really cool, man. Um, I I'm really keen to dive into the 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 choice on on the league later. And we'll probably do that a bit more in part two. Uh, Cause I don't see many people play great Ethereum around here where I'm from. I'm not sure about you, Blake. I, I, I see almost all of the, uh, the more combat centric ones in my part of the world, but I don't see great Ethereum too much. I don't either. Actually, when I, I was, I was actually supposed to play John round four and I was pretty ill during the tournament. So I dropped round four. So we didn't get to play. When I was looking at his list, I was like, what does this even do? I had to go look up all the stuff. <laughs> his list was yeah, completely yeah. good. Uh, yeah. I, I may or may not have the book open on my second screen right now just to double check that I know what all of this stuff does. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually the only Great Ethereum League there. Everyone else was Ymir. I think there was 10 Votan, including me, and I was the only Great Ethereum League. Yeah, well, I'm definitely really keen to sort of dive into that a little bit later on and, and get your thoughts on it. Because I, I see a lot of uh, a lot of Kronos as well as the other one we see quite a bit around here. But awesome, man. Um, I, I really like the list. I think it's very, very cool. Thank you. Why don't we go ahead, uh, Matt, run us through Scott's list again from last week, and uh, then we'll kind of bounce off of that. Yeah, so astute listeners from last week can skip forward 30 seconds while I uh, 
I rattle off the sisters list. Uh, we've got a Hospitala, we've got a Repentia Superior. We have got a base cannoness with just the Blessed Blade and Word of the Emperor for the uh, for the no-end bonds, for the fight last, all the good stuff that you want out of a, a Bloody Rose cannoness. Um, we've got Celestine and Gemini, as well as Morvenval with Righteous Rage, so with the Warlord trait there. Um, we've got three units of Battle Sisters with nothing. They're just there to uh, to score some primary, to do some objectives and some secondaries and things like that. A unit of six Sacrosants with the Halberds, a unit of two Crusaders, um, two Dogmatas, and the second Dogmata, if you're wondering why that's in there, I suggest you go listen to Scott talk about this list because the second Dogmata is very, very cool. Yeah, it's pretty um, we've cool. We've got like all, yeah, all of the... Uh, all of the powers that you want. We've got Chorus of Spiritual Fortitude, um, as well as the, the Psalm of Righteous Fighting on the, the second Dogmata. We've got two nice big units of Repentia, two units of Zephyrim, a four girl and an eight girl. Uh, and then we have the two chunky Retributor squads, both of nine girls with four Multimelters and Cherub, um, and a Rhino. So as mentioned, we had Scott on on last week and we spoke at pretty, a pretty big length about this list. Um, but realistically, what you're looking at is like four combat bombs between the Repentia and the Zephyrim, um, two big shooting units in the uh, the Retributors there, and then a bunch of cool, you know, punchy characters that have a bunch of the sisters' jank. It pretty much has, you know, less units than other sisters' armies, but literally every single piece of sisters' jank possible uh, in this army. It's a very, very cool list. Yeah, it's cool. I liked it. Um, now, remind us, we're going to be talking about, actually, this is a different mission because it wasn't the game we talked about, but tell us the mission you and Scott played on. We were uh, we actually did abandoned sanctuaries, which is the one mission I can't stand the most, especially with tours. And um, it it actually was a really good setup for him because he has way more trades than I do. And uh, so we had that our secondaries, I believe. Let's see, I took I took the uh, kill secondary for the for the dwarves that uh, the ans- ancestors are watching or something like that. Can't remember what it's called. I, I took lay claim. And then I took uh, assassinate, and okay. as, the reason I took assassinate is he had seven characters, and I I've played sisters four or five times now, and I've always gotten my assassinate points, which is weird because I never take that. Like I, that's the one. Like this is the first time in my career of forty k that I've actually ever taken this secondary, but uh, it seems it seemed to work out pretty well. Um, yeah. So just for the record, before we get started, what was the MVP over the course of the weekend and what's on the chopping block? Uh, my MVP, I would say, is Uthar. He pulled so much work for me. You know, he gives you that extra free six that can change into something that can either be something for survivability or murdering something that you really need done and dead. Um, he, the, the mortal wound output that he puts out is obnoxious. Like, he can pretty much do a good amount of mortal wounds, just kind of like the smash hammer, you know, the uh, the champion can, the iron-haired champion. And so he's he's kind of like my makeshift iron-haired champion that can run and actually do some damage. Uh, yeah, him. He puts on judgment tokens. He can get one guy up to uh, make it where I'm auto-wounding on fours. Like, he just does so much work. And what's on chopping block? Probably the Warriors, maybe. Believe it or not, in this game, they actually did amazing but for the most part like warriors were they're really good but sometimes they don't pull the weight that i i need them to like i need more damage uh, i would say maybe one unit of warriors instead of two yeah, we're gonna still- talk about that a little more part two but i just had to get it out there because matt told me i was never asking that question again and um you just got me on your toes man i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna ask it completely out of sequence just to get it 
So you dived in there, man. I, I was actually ready. I, I I've got a, a little note on my little notepad here. It's like remember to ask this question, and you just went for it. Um, <laughs> I did. Two and zero gets you. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you're winning. It's all right, mate. It's it's a long game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, asking Votan players what's in the chopping block is a bit awkward, right? Because the model of the, the unit range is so limited. Like, I feel like a lot of the uh, the changes, and again, we'll, we'll we'll dive into this a bit more in part two. But a lot of the changes is going to be about the quantity of each unit. Like, I don't think you're ever going to cut out any one of these units entirely because you kind of need everything to do its job to. You have a cohesive army, right? Obviously, you're opened up to to some slightly more skewed builds with the Arcs of Omen detachment and the way that you can sort of, you know, load up on elites or load up on fast. But like, you don't really have the depth of units that you'd want to take. You know, it's it's kind of an awkward question for a faction like Votan, I think. Yeah, it, it really it's it's really hard to figure out like what I would if I if I had to chop anything else other than maybe warriors, maybe like a character like a Grimnir or something like that. It's like it's really hard, like you said, to really choose. Because all of them do their thing, and I'm very limited in my codex. Yeah, there's a sure. couple of builds right now. As soon as, unless they until they release new stuff in the line, definitely. Um, tell us a little bit about the deployment and kind of your mindset going into the game. Whether it was, you thought it was a good matchup for you, and kind of your general strategy. Yeah. So uh, when I first put my player place terrain out, I made sure that I was back enough where it would be difficult for him to charge but I would be able to clear out the center if you put anything out there. And then I wanted to at least take one of the side objectives and, um, and just have that out in the open. So I had two out in the open objective markers that I had full control of of shooting because my shooting was way better. I had to pick and choose my battles with sisters. It's, it's usually you have to wait for them to come out. Now, most sister players that I, I play, they usually tend to like spread out a little bit more, but he was actually very cautious so going in actually like his deployment was typical hide everything behind a single ruin and i was pretty much hiding everything behind my back single ruin and off to one flank and then my bikes can redeploy wherever they want in my deployment zone unfortunately because of abandoned sanctuaries but and that was my pretty much general setup like ready to just shoot those two objectives if need be Right, you don't want to be the aggressor here because when you get traded off by like Repentia, that feels pretty bad, especially when you're uh, more of an elite army on that sense. Right. Yeah, it's um, so, it's an interesting mission, right? Because both of you have the pregames. Like, he really wants to pregame his Rhino and get either Repentia or like Sacrosense and you know one of his punchy characters into somewhere in the center of the board, and you kind of want to get the blacks to get an angle, right? So it's really awkward that neither of you get to do that same thing. I guess that's marginally in favor of the um, of the Votan because you can, like, I, I guess, laterally position side by side and end up in a different part of your deployment zone. But at the same time, it's like it's kind of awkward because it like really neuters the game plan of both of these armies. We spoke to Scott about you know how important that pregame move with the Rhino is for a lot of his games. He doesn't get that. You don't get the pregame move with the bikes. It's just, um, it, it's kind of funny that at least this mission affects both of you somewhat equally, I guess. Going into the first turn, did you feel like your terrain was where you wanted it and you had a pretty good setup? Yeah, actually, I, my terrain was pretty well set up. I don't think there was much I would have changed. I might have pushed my ruin that I had off to the one side on, on the right side where he had his ruin covering his objective. I might have pushed it up maybe an inch closer, but even then, I, I don't think it really would have made that much of a difference. It could have just helped on 
you know, a certain part of a charge or something along those lines. So walk me through turn one and kind of who went first and how the game progressed. So I, I unfortunately had first turn, which is somewhere where I did not want to be, especially for this mission. Um, I pretty much was trying to, and, and, you know, I, I have to give it to Scott. He, he worked with me the whole entire time. You know, anytime I asked him, Hey, I'm, I want to move here. What can, what can see this? What can do this? You know, he was making sure everything was legit. The guy's really tight with his movements and everything. And so my first, my first turn movement, I just moved stuff a little bit up ready for a counter punch because I know he had his seraphim the the where are the ones with the jump packs and the swords is that the seraphim that's the seraphim the seraphim are the the girls running around with two pistols no they had jump packs and like a power sword and yeah yeah they're, they're the seraphim yeah they, they stand very similar so if you're not a sisters player people always get them confused <laughs> you know it's funny i play sisters all the time and i still can never remember the names yeah. they all mesh for me i'm just like what is the girl with the power sword or what is the girl with the meltas you <laughs> know that's pretty much so, it. It's, um, it's girl with power sword or girl with eviscerator, and they're the combatty ones. And then it's girls with different types of guns. Uh, it's a right. very, very diverse model range. <laughs> <laughs> but they normally don't. So, he, like, I, I pushed up a little. I was trying to get cut an angle where I could pop his rhino. And then I wanted to, uh, I have mole launchers. I wanted to slow down his, uh, the two up armor save girls with the war glaives. I wanted to just slow their movement down. But every time I was trying to find an angle, he had these girls set up, his Melta girls set up in a way where they would just be able to obliterate anything that I wanted to touch. So instead, I just was setting up for turn two, and that was my turn one. I pushed out everything, grabbed my one objective, and pretty much sat and waited for him to come out in the open. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, I think you went over your secondaries at the start. Do you know what secondaries he took? Do you still have a, a copy of the game, out of curiosity? Um, I don't have a copy of the game, but I believe he took two of the sisters' one. He took the shrine. Yeah, he took the other sisters' one. It was most likely uh, Leap of Faith. That's probably the, the Miracle Dice one. Seems like a good choice here. And then then he went back and forth on one of them. I think he ended up taking R&D uh, because he has like these little just regular sister units he was able to pretty much get three quarters in the game for r&d now where did you feel like at what point did you feel like you maybe made a play that you if you're in hindsight 2020 go back and change oh i yeah i definitely know what i did wrong in this game i i did not push up turn two i wish i pushed up a little bit harder than i did um i have three units of zerks and i wish i pushed up on his one flank i was trying to screen out celestine which was really hard to do and i should what i should have done was just force bikes and uh like two units of zerks on the one flank and forget about the middle make it look like i wanted the middle and then just deplete his one side and then i could just shoot off the middle instead i was trying to fight for the middle and i'm like wait a minute why am i fighting normally i'm used to sister sister players coming out at me or coming around trying to get angles on me and then i could counter punch that but he wasn't doing that so by turn two i'm like ah crud he's not doing what i'm used to and uh so i should i should have went off to the others like i already had my side objective and he had nothing around there and he went heavy on his one flank and i could have just took that part instead of worrying about the middle and that that was my 
Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that's that's a hard thing for people to really get down. It's something I struggle with with nights a lot is, um, you know, when do you go full throttle on a flank or when do you sit back and wait? So you need to conserve points. And I think that's a problem with like elite like elite armies that have a lot of punch, like knights, Fotan kind of falls in that category, custodes, you know, because if you commit too hard and you lose resources, you're done. Like, so I, I yeah, completely uh, feel that. Yeah, and he, I mean, he played it well, right? He, we both threw up baits. We both didn't take our baits, or if we did take our baits, you know, we figured out how to come back from it. So, you know, he, he did a great job on his play too. So I, I give him the credit as well. You're both throwing out baits pretty masterfully. Would you say you're both masters of baits? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get, I, yeah. That sounds, sounds like you were, it sounds like you're both pretty masterful in your execution. So yeah. Kudos to y'all. Absolutely. What happens in, uh, uh, Idaho? I don't know. What, what state are we even talking about? I don't even know what, what happens in Idaho. Ohio. Idaho. There we go. What happens in Idaho stays in Idaho. There we go. Ohio. 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 Uh, same thing. I don't, I don't know geography. I'm awful at this. Hey, Matt, I'm pretty sure those states are real far apart. I'm uh, I'm not 100 percent on that because I don't know that part of the country very well either. But I think they're pretty far. Ah, uh, it's okay. People ask me if Australia and New Zealand are the same country, mate. Like, <laughs> I can't be any worse than that. Yeah, I think what you've touched on there, John. Like, to actually be serious for just a second, uh, what you touched on there is really interesting, right? Um, there's a lot of advice out there from like from competitive players and from people who do content about like the importance of just standing on primary and making your opponents trade with you and doing things like that. But what you have to realize, and I think what a lot of people like, you know, it's, it's like a clicking point that a lot of people will sort of get to. And it sounds like you've sort of executed on this quite well is that there's no point going and standing on the middle objective, especially with an elite army, if your opponent is just going to shoot you off. Because all you do is force them to like you know, put some of their shooting into something that's holding the center anyway to stop you from getting a big primary score, right? But what you're actually doing is just giving away resources for nothing and you're letting yourself get shot off. So all these people are talking about how like the importance of making sure you're pressuring primary, making sure you're standing on objectives and like making sure you end your moves on objectives. Like all of this is like generally really good advice. But if you're going to go and stand on an objective and your opponent is just going to shoot you off, you're just giving stuff away for no reason. So being able to identify that, hey, going in the middle is basically a bad idea with anything I have, playing for the sides, trying to get your opponent into the middle first so you can kind of execute on the exact same thing shows that you kind of like really understand that dynamic really well. But it's also really awkward when your opponent also understands that dynamic too because you both kind of like stare at each other like the Spider-Man meme, putting your fingers at each other, waiting for the other person to sort of make the first move. I think you really, yeah, that's that's definitely some good insight uh, from your game there. Um, John, do you have any advice for Votan players out there? Someone's picking up this new army. What's your, like, general advice for playing this list? Yeah, um, so if you're going to play a list like I'd, I'm playing, it's, um, it's one of those you have to know when to push your battles, right? Like, this was my mistake in this matchup, where I, did, I, I pushed a little bit too late. Like, this list can actually put out a lot of damage, a lot of damage. And, um, but you have to know when to push these, these units up to, and, and learn being like, you know, it's okay if I take this casualty, as long as I remove those things that I need to remove and get, get ahead of the game. So when you're playing Votan, you know, I think it's more about practice and understanding when to do it because, you know, you're playing against what, 33 or 34 different types of armies. And, uh, 
you know, just getting the practice in to know when to push in this type of list, of course. So you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, as Kenny, as, uh, Kenny Rogers would say. Yeah, it, it um it almost because look, I haven't played a game with Votan. I've played a handful of games against Votan, so I've got to experience a few different play styles, right? But like I'm someone who's never played Votan. It's an army that doesn't really interest me from a play style point of view, so I probably won't play the army, right? But I look at it and it feels to me somewhat similar to Knights because you're playing with a bunch of like high damage output, relatively high cost units. Like a unit of warriors costs more than an armager does, right? So we're playing with like these relatively high value, relatively high damage output units that all kind of need to be used really well because sure, people sit there and say, oh, well, the Votan shooting is OP or the Votan combat is OP or whatever they might say. But these units still die, right? Like these units still get looked at and people still kill them, you know, without too much effort, right? So it kind of feels like you're playing an army that's like, like kind of like knights. Um, and, you know, there are some armies obviously that struggle at killing knights, but there are also armies that kill knights really efficiently. So I think... Uh, you know, I, I look at this and I'm like, this is an army where you have to extract like every last drop of value out of all of the, you know, the the, the high points density units. Am, am I sort of on the on the pulse there? Yeah, I, I would say like Votan to me is not definitely a beginner friendly army. It is. Uh, it only has really one play style, especially when you get closer to the top tables. Right when you start playing the top tables, my biggest weakness is my movement, and what I mean by that is, yeah, I got fast units, but you always. 100% of the time know how fast and how far my units go. Because I advance three inches or advance six inches. I move this many. So there's no way in the world that I can really out-jank you in movement other than like you're just bad at movement, right? You don't understand the movement side of it. So I think that's the hardest part about Votan. The damage output is still something... A lot of players actually, like, even me sometimes, I'm like, man, I don't know if I could clear this. And then I shoot, and I overkill things, and I'm like, dang, I keep forgetting how much damage I put out. You know, so that that's that's the one aspect that you have. It's really hard to really figure out the amount of math that's going into you, because it's just so much shooting. But the movement is what kills you. So you have to be very careful playing with Votan, and you have to be very meticulous in knowing when, like I said, when to push, because... You're pretty much predictable. Yeah, that's um, that's really cool. So, uh, here, here's my question for you. I, I mean this like in the, in the most respectful way possible, right? You say that you get to like the top tables and you play where all of your information is kind of telegraphed, right? Everyone knows exactly how far you move. There's not really any jank. Where does the skill expression come into it for you? Then, where do you think like the outplays happen if you feel like you know you kind of don't have any jank and you've kind of just got like a stat check and pretty big damage? Like, how, how do you think that you like outplay your opponent with this army? So pretty much you play what you do is like, I would just play the typical game, make it feel like I'm trying to do something typical for one or two turns. And then you can like switch it up. You, you do have like, I, I have the point where that there's one CP where you can auto advance 12 inches, which can really change up things. Because what I could do is, is I could play one side and this is the one movement jank that I like to do is spend that one CP and I have a Sagittar full of Zerks, but I'm playing one side light. And then I zip that Sagittar 24 inches onto the other side. Now I have my counterpunch. Cool. You're going to come out, but now next turn, you're going to have to deal with Zerks that you weren't prepared for. So that's like one of the things that I like to try to change up that I can do. But uh, again, you know, all my movements. So, if, you know, if, if you tend to see that, 
and it is, it is sometimes hard to see because you think you you got one flank and the other. So that 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 is one thing I think I tend to try to do more often. Yeah, cool. That uh, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? I, I think um, it's easy. Again, like I, I see both sides of this, right? I see people who complain about Votan and say that the like I said the shooting's OP or the combat's OP or whatever it might be. Then I see Votan players who feel like their army doesn't have a, a lot of stuff. And like obviously the truth is like is somewhere in the middle, right? You've got not a lot of stuff, but your stuff does really, really great damage. But it's cool to to hear that you've still got I, I guess the outplay potential, right? You've still got, you know, tricks like that that kind of shake up the flow of the game. Um I think that's really important when you're sort of progressing from from the mid tables to the top tables, right? You need to be able to do things that are not necessarily unexpected, but like things that keep your opponent honest. They can't just sit X number of inches away from each unit and just say, okay, well, haha, you can't do anything, right? Right. I think that's a that's a good spot to really round out part one here. So we'll go ahead and uh, jump into part two here, which I am going to call the Maddie Mayhem. How do you feel about Maddie Mayhem? I don't like Maddie, but it's, it's better than Sully Slice, I think. Maddie, Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt, it can't be Matt Mayhem. That doesn't that doesn't sound right. Like a, like Maddie Mayhem, you know. I feel like that's kind of has a ring to it. We'll, we'll go for it today, mate. But uh, keep working. <laughs> still haven't nailed it oh, well thanks john for coming on um when you come on for a third time down the road in the next year where uh, you're gonna you're gonna be tying the record so um we're looking forward to that man go lose some games <laughs> thanks yeah. all right john well we'll join you for part two and thanks for listening everybody make sure to check out our other podcasts we have the art of war vanilla flavored with nick Nanavati and paul murphy we of course have the very 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 australian but it's almost as Australian now. Art of War Unbroke or Art of War Down Under. Unbroken Down Under. They're they're one show now with the late and great Adam Camilleri. Make sure to check out those Patreons and make sure to check out all the War Room has to offer for the Art of War. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War40K.com. 